0: Greetings, salutations, and a big hello to all of you Planeswalkers throughout the multiverse. It is great to have you, having walked in to the Unlucky Lounge for another episode of Draft and Draft. My name is Corey, your denizen of this local fine establishment, and with me, as always, he's a two-two for two, but don't let that make you think that he is wearing a tutu. His name is Borak. Borak, good to have you, buddy. <laughs> Yeah, it was a little heavy-handed, that 2 joke, but regardless, today we're going to do some talking. We're going to go over some thoughts that I had that were, well, kind of inspired by M21 on a special retrospective episode of Draft and Draft. But before we get into it, some little bits of housekeeping. First off, this podcast is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. Check them out at Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V. For content and podcasts all throughout the different genres and subgenres, you can tune in to some of their great content and get lost for hours. So, check them out wherever you download podcasts or at their website, bleav.com. And as always, this podcast is brought to all of you out there because of all of your support. Thanks for tuning in and thanks for listening. And And if this podcast has brought you some joy, we would love to find you on our social medias. On Twitter, it's Draft and Draft Corey. On Instagram, Corey, Enriquez. And of course, on our Patreon, Draft and Draft, an MTG podcast. And for those of you who've been tuning in for a few weeks, it's wonderful to see that you've continued to join us here in the Unlucky Lounge. And if you get a chance to rate, share, and... Subscribe to us wherever you download your podcast. Help us get the word out and help us continue to build a community here in the Unlucky Lounge because it is truly all of you that keep the lights on here in Monoscrew Manor. Well, the housekeeping is done. The Sorcerer's Broom is put back into the Conjurer's Closet. And speaking of Sorcerer's Broom, Borak, one of my favorite paper magic format is coming to full people draft on arena soon we are going back to the throne of eldraine draft format borak <laughs> yeah borak i'm pretty hyped too i think that throne of eldraine combined the magic of top-down flavor design with some really great limited gameplay and ways of us looking at the draft format in a completely different way Some people didn't like drafting multicolor. I thought it was novel. I thought it felt fresh, and I thought it felt well-supported, and something that I felt I was doing powerful magic by staying so close to one color. And it's a good amount of timing, Borak, because M21 has been... Well, it's been a corset. And there's nothing wrong with corset drafting. I think that it being in... A Year of Magic is very important for some of the new player base. And speaking of new player base, in regards to the course at play, I wanted to take an episode and talk about, well, how I came into playing Magic the Gathering and compare it to the new contemporary way that thousands upon thousands of players are coming into the game with just having a client like Arena or moto and what is the difference between learning in the two different mediums what's lost when you're one way and not the other and what can we come to realize about different perspectives and different ways of approaching the game and how that might affect the way that we should interact with our online clients i'm going to present different viewpoints i'm going to set up analyses and analogies to learning the game in different ways and it's all going to lead to an important truth that i would love to see the magic arena client start to develop and that is the fact that i believe best of three should be a ranked play mode Yeah, yeah, I know my lucky lounge rats. It's not the biggest hottest take in the world, but I'm hopefully going to lend some credence to this argument by drawing out a comparative analysis to two different fronts. The first being another type of game known as a role-playing game or an RPG game. I'm gonna compare other classic forms of gaming to Magic the Gathering and highlight why The tracking of progress is so very important and having something that rewards strong play and less variance is what I think is going to be paramount for players to continue to feel invested. And the other thing that I'm hoping to compare this to is child development. Maybe not everyone, plays games like Final Fantasy or Super Mario RPG or the Persona series and so I'm gonna also be drawing comparisons to our own growth as children going into adulthood and accruing knowledge and how that can also be used as a solid analogy to show why it's important for us to start to think about different ways of evaluating ranked play on a client like Arena. But before we get into this bit of content, let's go ahead and start with an untap step. (sighs) All right, my lucky lounge rats, let's get to it. And to make this comparative analysis something that is relatable to us all, I'm gonna start at the beginning, the first moments when you meet the game, and I'm gonna introduce to you what I see are important milestones in a Planeswalker's history. And then I'm gonna take those milestones and compare them to playing an RPG game, or if you don't know RPGs, I'm gonna talk about it in relative parallelness to child development. First, let's talk about that initial introduction to Magic the Gathering. When I grew up, I feel like I've heard the same story out of many, many people. They met a friend, the friend played the game, the game was introduced to them through that friend. Either that, or you see people sitting at the lunchroom table, or maybe fellow campers at your summer camp are playing it on a picnic table. That moment when you have your first birding experience, when you stand over someone's shoulder and see them playing this thing that looks foreign, but yet looks really, really cool. This, to me, in similar sense to an RPG, is when you see the game first, in a magazine, on a game store shelf, or you find a review online and you just get really hyped and you're so ready to play it and see what being introduced to this new world will give you in fresh forms and fresh perspectives. When it comes to child development, this stage is kind of like being born. You're bright eyed, you're bushy tailed, you don't know anything about anything, but you're ready to see what the world has in store for you. So you're introduced to the game. You know it exists, and it seems quite interesting to you. And you make your first leap into this brand new world filled with mana and filled with planeswalkers, and you have your first initial play. Maybe you're borrowing someone's deck, or maybe you went to your local game store, and you picked up a starter deck, an intro pack, and you decided to sling some spells. But this is where you get to make your very first choice in the game. You get to choose what kind of deck you want to play. Maybe it's one of the colors and their fundamental philosophical underpinning, like red being super fast, or green being about big, large creatures and being in tune with nature. Or maybe you see the new set that came out and there's a mechanic like madness or maybe the dragon sub-theme of Scourge or maybe the artifacts of Mirrodin. You see these cards and you're like, wow, I want to do something that looks like this. And this is your first effective reflection of self into the world of Magic the Gathering. And that reflection of self in the way that you build the deck starts to create your own sense of identity. To me, this is very similar to the mirror stage of child development. When we're babies and we first see ourselves in the mirror, it's a way of us recognizing that, oh my gosh, this is us. We are creating our own sense of it, our own self-identity, and it's being sewn through these pieces of cardboard. It's really kind of fascinating how, when playing this game, you create your own identity. You become born again. And I don't mean, like, religiously born again but i don't know there's plenty of theology and magic maybe there is some kind of sense to it and i do apologize for all my friends out there i'm using some big 20 dollar grand eloquent words that i got from taking a few credits in my graduate degree now compare this to the rpg effect the title of this show to me this is like choosing your character choosing what kind of class you're gonna go into. You just read that little initial blurb when you're about to go into one of these classes and you think, this appeals to me. Think almost like playing Elder Scrolls and picking what kind of Dovican you want to be or what kind of class you want to specialize in. So now you've had a chance to play with the friends, your classmates and the people that introduced you to the game in the first place, but you're so excited and you want more. Now, in the RPG effect, you could certainly put the game away, in child development, keep on keeping on. But in this sense, you've decided to continue forward and explore more of what magic has to give to you. And so, you visit your local game store to participate in your very first event. And when you get there, you suddenly realize that the world is larger than just you. There's a whole spectrum of different types and kinds of people playing that have different kinds of formats and different decks, and suddenly you see that it's more than what's just inside of you, but what's in the world around you that counts for magic. And you go to your first local game store, their casual play weekday event, and you get to know more people. You sit down with other players you've never played with before. And you start to gain those social skills. You start to gain more of a sense of how to interact with the community. And I remember these times. The first times I met people and tried to immerse myself in a culture that was foreign to me. And it's still something that sits with me and identifies who I am today. And I'm always eternally grateful to these moments. But... This is also the time when you start to develop your own psychographic in the world of magic. Now, maybe you've heard of these psychographic profiles before from a different name. Names like Timmy and Tammy, Johnny, Jenny, Spike, Vorthos, you figure out your favorite way of playing the game. Do you like to combo together cards? Do you like playing big, massive creatures? Are you all about trying to find the most effective way To fight against a meta or maybe you just love the world that's created from Magic the Gathering and as you're going to an LGS and you're seeing these different people who are enjoying the game in a different way that's when you start to develop your very own psychographic profile and I certainly think through time you can change this you can gain more of an appreciation for the lore as you start to play the game more and maybe you become more of a combo player and less of a Timmy Or maybe you start to edge more towards Spike as time goes along. But I think those first times, the first initial times you go, you start to find how you love this game, that's when your way of interacting with the game kind of helps for the first time. Now, in an RPG, I'd say going to your LGS for the first time is like after the first tutorial boss battle. You've finished playing through the large portion that's trying to teach you the fundamental mechanics of the game before they start layering things on top of it. Well, I think that's what going to a local game store is kind of, well, emulating in the RPG effect. And this is a very critical time as well because you're starting to determine whether or not you want to continue on with the game. Child development, it's like going to school for the first time. It's a critical moment, those first moments you embrace yourself into people that are peers to you. When you're going to be learning with others, and that element of learning with others helps inform the kind of learner that you are, just like a psychographic profile. So you've started to grow more passionate for the game, and you start going into your local game store more often and more often. and. You start to explore the different kinds of formats that are out there. You see Standard, you see Modern, you see Legacy and Vintage, you see people drafting for the first time, you see Commander players, you see Brawl, you see some other inventive formats that people create for you. And that's when you start to figure out the kind of player that you want to be. Some people are just great at the game in general, and will partake in every format in an equal adeptitude. I know myself i'm horrible at legacy and vintage, and standard i have a hard time with myself but i know that i love commander and i love draft and i continue to develop my skills in those formats and just like in an rpg you've got your character with their class and now you're looking at the skill tree what portion of the skill tree do you want to specialize in do you want to be an ice-based mage or Maybe you want to be a rogue that has more charismatic tendencies rather than sneaky and stabby. And this is where you get to really start to hone in and figure out the nuances of these detailed skill trees or formats in the sense of magic. And for child development, this is the moment when say you go to a family gathering at a young age and you're self-aware enough to be asked questions like, what's your favorite subject in school? and you being aware of this question enough to reply with what you're most passionate about. Maybe it's reading, maybe it's recess, but you start to become a fully realized person who has an opinion, who has a passion, and that passion is an absolute good thing. So now you have your psychographic profile. Maybe you're like me, a Spike Vorthos, and you start seeing your favorite ways of playing the game. And now begins the quest to find the things to unlock your favorite ways of playing. Searching for appealing cards online and being able to find ways to get these cards. Maybe you have a part-time job mowing the lawns of your neighbors and you're scraping and scratching together to afford your first fetch land because you love playing land-based decks. And from getting these cards, you get to put them together and start to create something that's greater than the sum of their parts this is the phase where you're collecting and accruing your collection and it's starting to become a part of your identity. Maybe you have that one card that you are proud of, that one card that you still have, and that you still adore and love more than any other card. And in this moment, comparatively to say an RPG, it's like finding gear that suits your playstyle. And If you collect all those gear parts, you get some kind of stacked bonus because you put them all together, and it feels really good, especially when you finally get a chance to get all those pieces and assemble it into one collective piece of armor, it being a sum of its parts. In the world of child development, it's kind of like homework and gaining conclusions from putting together this homework. Now, while just like homework, collection can be tedious, it can take time, and it sometimes is a long struggle before you finally acquire your first force of will. But the journey to get there, and the accomplishment of finding your own way to gain these cards, is a feeling that I don't think that anyone would take away. Do you remember that one time when you went to a Grand Prix event and and you day and you have this card that has the Grand Prix stamp on it. And maybe it's not worth any actual dollars, but it means something to you. It has significance to you. And that's experience that's only gained when you get to interact with the cards and keep them and hold on to them. And you have something that resonates with you. And just like in pedagogy, it's very important to give players and students multiple means of expressing themselves in homework or in deck building. And that's why I support creativity and deck building in all the different formats. Say, having a singleton format like a commander or a brawl, that doesn't require trying to pump a lot more money into getting a full play set of uros or breeding pools, but instead just taking the individual cards you got from, say, a draft and being able to put it together and create a stack of a 100, and then be able to compound upon it when new cards get out. It's like that RPG sense of gaining incremental advantages to try and bring your player into combat over and over again. Now I will say this whole collection and accruing and deck building element, it, it can be a little decisive I think, and especially when I'm comparing it to say something like child development and pedagogy because it doesn't really work in the same way. And the fact that dollars kind of allude to access can be a pretty tricky, let's say point of contention. But this is where we have people out there in say the magic sphere that talk about building on a budget, how you can take small, lesser valuable things and make something that's beautiful. Now, I personally would have to agree that self-expression should not be tied to the amount of money that you have, and self-expression in deck building definitely shouldn't either. It's one of the things that can become a barrier of entry for the game in the first place. However, having that moment when you finally accrue that one card that you've been looking for for so long... There's something really satisfying about it. I get a good satisfaction. It's almost like having that Legend of Zelda moment when you open up the chest and you get the hook shot and you think, oh my gosh, this lets me sling across a large gap. Where can I go back into the world and find other uses for this equipment? And then you find more bonuses and it starts to stack on top and on top and on top of each other. Uh, There's something about it. It just feels good. And even though, you know, the third-hand, second-hand markets can cause some level of limitations on being able to express your own way in trying to build these decks that you want to, there's still something to be said about acquiring a card after such a long journey to find it. And I love that. And while I don't have all the cards that I'd like to, I certainly don't have pieces of power or vintage staples and I certainly don't have a guy's cradle, <laughs> I still love the fact that It's a journey that I get to take, if that's something that I really actively want to take. And not to hammer home the point too finely, but without the ability to acquire something to help you express your deck building further, I think we lose something in the accomplishment of obtaining that ability to unlock that deck building. Now, this isn't a podcast either to debate the usage of, say, proxies in the world of paper magic, but I will say that that true feeling of accomplishment is there. I don't think that the barrier of dollars should impede one's ability to self express in the world of Magic the Gathering. And I generally am happy to accept a proxy in a game of Commander. I think it's fine because it allows you to be the kind of player that you want to be, which is why I love the format of Commander because it supports such a wide swath of of different psychographic profiles, and allows people to express their ways in deck building that other formats would not allow. Anyway, I digress, and let's get back to the RPG effect in the length of a Magic the Gathering player's life. Quick recap. We have found the game initially, played our first games. We went to the LGS, we found the formats that we liked, and we're now starting to deck build and we're starting to accrue our collection to be able to express ourselves in our deck building well then the next step is gameplay level ups when you start to realize that the series of choices that you make in a game are not based off of rng or a shuffle job or drawing a card out of sequence But being able to suss out gameplay choices and be able to make them for a greater degree of whatever you're trying to accomplish, be it fun or victory, finding those little things to help you continue to play these cards in different and better ways is so very valuable and it's absolutely lovely. And sometimes you discover things that aren't surface level. And by listening to other players who are better than you, it helps you come to these conclusions listening to people who know more than you in child development one might say that's a teacher teaching and in role-playing games it'd be like looking up hints via content creators faqs and other game guides so now comes the time to take the next step in your magic the gathering lifetime and that is going to a larger event a ptq a regional qualifier a gp you see the event that fits your favorite format and a way that you can express your game playing on a larger scale. And you get to go to an event and experience the world of magic an even wider and brighter breadth now. For an RPG, it's like going to the final boss or maybe end game or secret content. In development of a learner, it's tests, end of your exams, SATs, ACTs, Now, the key difference though, to say going to a large event and taking a big test, is that since you're not competing with each other when you're taking the SATs necessarily, I would say that we have to realize that losing a game of magic is not like getting a question wrong. One of my biggest level ups was learning when a loss was sometimes out of your hands, but you can still be very happy with the way you played. You played optimally, even if in the end you couldn't have won that game, no matter what the route of that game having happened. It's part of variance, and that variance is what makes the game great in the first place. The small things matter. And learning about something like EV, it's a gambling term that estimates the number of times that you should win a hand. Even though, let's say you're supposed to win that game 90% of the time and you lost that game you still were right to make those choices and go down the path that you went down your EV was right, your EV was there and even though it didn't go the way that you wanted to doesn't mean you shouldn't have made the choices that you made it means you still made those right choices and once you went out to your first big event, your GP your PTQ, then you keep going to it You keep going to these large events to gauge your play skill, to have ongoing engagement, to be able to take the things that you've learned and continue to adapt them to what different things the world may throw at you. When a new set comes out, and taking the skills that you've learned and using heuristics to help you learn the new cards, it's all part of the same tapestry. It's that end game content. It's becoming an adult in child development. And you're no longer just playing to acquire a collection, but instead now you're playing to acquire the knowledge to help you continue forward and continue to love the game. So let's take all of this comparative analysis and boil it down to one simple truth, and that is continuous growth over time whether you're going from the first little inkling steps to growing your collection to level up moments and then going to large-scale events to test your skills upon a wider player base. So now let's take this slow progression of growth from being a small circle to a wide globe and apply it to that which is currently accessible to us here in the now, and that is the online client, the basis of arena, that will probably be one of the main ways for a lot of players such as myself out there to continue to experience high level competitive play and see where it excels along the same timeline and where we can maybe brainstorm some areas of opportunity to continue to see exciting growth in magic player development. So first, let's take the handful of initial phases of learning about the game and do a quick, let's say, overcap of some of the initial first steps. For example, first introduction. Compared to, say, when we were in the early 2000s or late 90s, now you don't have to be introduced to the game by second-hand or third-hand parties. The analytics of the internet will show the things that you favor and lead you down to advertisements that are going to help you become introduced to the game. So there are some people playing Magic that have learned it from people maybe they've never met before, or even more strangely, from a piece of advertisement. So initially, straight away off the top, well some of the community aspects of the game that I grew up learning aren't there. I'm being introduced to people and playing against them without even knowing their names or having a chance to know their backgrounds. I can remember individual games that I've played with people that I never have met before again, but I still remember them. And that's not necessarily true for Arena, and for the numerous opponents that I've played in the dozens upon dozens of drafts I've logged in Corset 2021. However, I'll always remember the person that I lost to on day one and day two of the Kaladesh GP in Milwaukee. The only two losses that I registered to was against the same person in days one and two, and even though it kept me out of the top eight, I can't think of a more delightful guy to lose to. And that is one of those moments that makes this game more than a game to me. And if I, say, came from an analytic on a different website and started playing an arena, I guess I would never get that experience. And it's fascinating to think about that strength of difference without seeing someone across from the table from you. Now, in comparison to these early steps, let's say we go back to the step of initial game playing. Uh, Arena gives you a really great tutorial to help you build into a natural play of learning the game. The five deck color system, the tutorial and the collection that it leaves you with afterwards is quite elegant and also kind of helps circumvent a pretty common narrative that I remember seeing from other people at LGSs, and that is that you thought the game worked this way, but actually it worked in a different way. Having this unified basis for learning the game that we know is true, and we know is fully accurate, really takes away some of the feel-bads of learning from the kitchen table when you're trying to suss out the game yourself. And I think for Arena, when it comes to the initial steps of the game, it is a great tool and i'm actually pretty stunned we kind of hit on this previously but when you go from that moment of playing on the kitchen table then going to your local game store that doesn't really exist for arena we're typically faced with faceless opponents that we don't really know and that lack of connection i think that kind of leads to less connectivity and I think that has nothing to do with Magic the Gathering. I think that has to do with the internet sphere. And quite frankly, there's no solution to that. Except where we can in communal environments, say Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and other social media, is making sure we treat each other with love and respect and openness to all. Now, what about finding your favorite ways of playing? Well, I think Arena does a pretty good job of that. And I think recently when it decided to open up its brawl, to an open play and not just a brawler's guild hall on a certain weekday or just temporarily during the quarantine, I think that's a wonderful step in the right direction. Even more excitingly, I can't wait for brawl to become historic brawl. The fact that we just had this really cool jump in and play format that is jumpstart has gotten me excited to play with some of these old cards that I remember from just years in the past. And I can't wait to be able to play it in a open play environment in Brawl on Arena. I want to be able to cast Oracle of Moldiah and get all the land value. I want High Market to be a beast with some of the new Morbid Triggers from Corset 2021. And I want to be able to just jump in and play a game of that whenever I can. So I think that Arena is taking the right steps to find new ways of playing and allowing people to go into that at a relatively reasonable barrier of entry. One thing I do wanna talk about with the compare and contrasting between the RPG effect and the current arena format, and that is the idea of collection and accruing slash deck building. Now, when it comes to the deck building client on arena, you really can't ask for much more. I'm sure little tweaks in the format and searching can always be done but I know that'll come in time and it'll certainly come when we as a community voice the things that we would like to see improve in courteous ways as well. Those will come over time. I feel confident about that. And being able to have just one copy of a card and play it over multiple decks, that's just the benefit of the digital platform. Now, I do want to take a second though and how I compared before to collection and accruing to kind of being like, obtaining gear over time and the satisfaction of gaining that, one thing that's been relatively striking to me is the fact that collecting commons and uncommons with these wild cards, while super easily accessible, kind of leaves a little bit of me lacking or wanting for some, how to put it, It's more satisfaction to acquiring the mythic that I wanted. When you're in paper and you're just going to draft after draft actively looking to maybe open up that one card or sitting down and trading for a card there's something satisfying about finally getting that new piece of equipment in that comparative analysis and being able to put it in a sleeve and sit down and say I'm so excited to draw this in the natural curvature of my commander deck and see it do the work that I want it to. Now Granted, compared to, say, in paper, when you have the card or you spent money on the card, you can't really take that back. In Arena, if it doesn't work out and that card doesn't fit well into the deck, it's not that much of a cost. But I'm kind of sad in that I, I miss that pursuit of fruit to make your deck more potent. And the passion to acquire that card creates more narrative equity for oneself. Now, as I said before, I think the most important thing is for one to express their ability to deck build in Arena. And that expression comes with some level of identity and being able to express yourself through identity and deck building, I think is paramount to what Magic: the Gathering is. But having only played this client now for give or take three and a half months, I have been wanting just a little something extra. I have all these wild cards commons uncommons mythics and rares that are just starting to collect up and do nothing and i would love a chance to have something premium or something cool or something unique to acquire from all of this i don't really play constructed so making a full constructed deck list is not something that particularly interests me but i respect that for those who do this wild card distribution is pretty important to them maybe the arena team can find something else in the way of maybe something cosmetic or something cool or something different something that can be accrued over time <laughs> you know maybe that could be kind of funny what if you acquired say the phyrexian language and then you could have characters speak in the phyrexian language and you can toggle on and off sound effects like maybe all bears sound like cat. I don't know, I, I like the idea of the old school 90s sound effect kind of remixing of video games. Yeah, for I don't know why, but your roaring just kind of gave me that thought. In any case, overall, I think that the accessibility of deck building on the arena client is super nice and super convenient, but I do kind of miss that RPG feel of finally acquiring a card after a long time, and that satisfaction, being something that brings you a lot of gratification. But let's get back to the thesis, the point of this episode, and that is my desire to see best of three be a ranked format on Arena. Now, all of this prefacing, the comparing to an RPG, child development, and just this little short comparative between Arena and Paper Magic as a contrast to highlight this whole feeling of an RPG. And that kind of comparisons Lands me on why I want this best of three to be something that should be considered. When I look at my own timeline with Magic the Gathering, I look at it at these breakdown terms. And when I look at this, I kind of compare my timeline to that of an RPG. When I acquire a new card, that feels like I've gotten new gear. When I've learned something new, like being mana efficient with your hand, That's a level up that's like me gaining experience and now after years upon years of play i'm now firmly in what i consider to be the end game content not unsimilar to that of a large-scale mmo or maybe post-game content of a pokemon game and now that we live in this world where we're staying safe lgs's are not having as many live events and the Magic Fest calendar has been canceled for the foreseeable future, I want to really levy some strong eyes at how we are treating our competitive specialty formats on our online clients. As I said before, in one's lifetime of playing Magic the Gathering, eventually you find your specialty formats and you're able to go out and attend large events like limited GPs or command fests and you can take those skills and bring them to these events where you're playing with the strongest and best players that are out there and right now on the arena player base there's two things that i really see are being favored and i'd love to see a little more attention being levied at them number one is that the highest levels of gameplay are all being slanted towards standards Now I know magic's bread and butter has always been standard. And quite frankly, I get it and I understand why. I have no qualms with the level of importance that standard has. However, in magic fests that happen around the world, they have specialty limited magic fests where you go day one, have your sealed limited event, and then you get to qualify to day two where you get to perform in multiple drafts to try and make it through to the big finals. This year, I was very excited to be making plans to go to multiple magic fests and give a crack at maybe trying to make day two again and maybe being once more on the bubble of top 80. When I did my Kaladesh GP, being right there in the hunt was probably one of the biggest rushes I've ever had in my Magic the Gathering playing career, and at some point, We'll tell the story of that very special time on this podcast, but for right now, the fact that we don't have these magic fests that are focusing on limited really has me missing that high-quality limited play in a competitive environment. I mean, look at the the end-of-the-month rankings. When we finish our end-of-the-month rankings and we qualify to the monthly uh, qualifier... You could be lights out in limited, and when you have a chance to test your skill, you're being tested in standard. Two very different formats for two very different types of players. I know I'll never be very good at high level constructed magic. That's okay with me. I spend a lot of my heart and a lot of my time playing in limited. And I would love to see Arena create these large, regional monthly events that are focused in limited gameplay. Yeah, I said regional. I know there's a lot of people out there, so can we find a way to geotrack where we are living and play against people around us to compete to see who can be the strongest limited player in your online region? I would love to see that. I know other games do it too, and why can't match the gather? So I just think if you're qualifying for limited play, in the monthly qualifiers, why not test those skills out in a limited large-scale monthly qualifying player tour event? Now, let's talk about best of three. When we play in stores, it's always best of three. When I am playing best of one, the amount of decks that I go through is at a stunningly rapid pace. They go by very very quickly how easy is it for you to draft a bad deck log three wins and three losses and move on to the next one and the speed of that is part of the equation of any game that is online that has some kind of currency system and that's totally fine it's the way that apps do business nowadays and i accept that as a truth but magic being a game that started way before The currency of clicks and the currency of time playing a game means that magic needs to find a way to still appeal to the people like myself like hopefully some of you unlucky lounge rats out there who go to stores prior to the crisis as their main way of playing magic they have the client on there so let's utilize it let's make best of three a ranked format give some stakes to those drafts. I know that's your best way of getting gem output, and I think the gem distributions are totally fine. But I want my wins and best of three to count towards a ladder. It can be the same limited ladder, it can be a different one. I don't much mind. But the ability to sideboard and play into adapting to what your opponent's decks are doing is a critical component of magic play. And they do that for standard it happens in standard. Why can't us limited players also get that same test with the same stakes associated to it? I want my best of threes to mean something. And on top of that, I think almost universally we can all agree that best of one magic and best of three magic are two very contrasting magic formats. There's a reason why in Best of 1 Magic, we should be slanting our decks towards aggressive decks. Because when you deploy your hands out quickly, your opponents have less time to react. And if you're trying to make plans to play 6 drops and you have those in your hand, and you can't use those 6 drops to interact with your opponent's boards early who are trying to empty their hands out as quickly, even when you cast your Colossal Dreadmaw, your opponent can still go wide or play a feat of resistance and go straight through that big green 6-6. Six, six. And since you don't have another shot at the game, you can't take a crack at trying to adapt to your opponent's strategy. Adapting is a key component to magic growth learning the mechanics of the game is a key component to player growth and just like in rpgs learning how a game system works and how it works for you is part of gaining personal growth and satisfaction i want that satisfaction on magic arena as well i want the arena team to find a way to give us arena opens in limited. Let us play for two day events. Give us a draft. Give us that two lost cap to play into day two. I'm willing to take the chance. I wanna be able to test the things that I've learned in a format and put it on the line. I want those stakes. And ever since we lost the DCI, and I have a lot of fond memories about the DCI, Maybe someday we'll do another podcast about some of my favorite DCI memories. Ever since we lost that Planeswalker point system and the system before that, the WPN network, part of our measurable growth has been gone. And I want to see new ways for us to have growth in the ways that really reward us for growing as players, finding what's happening, making the best choices to it, and having larger scale online events. After we've canceled all of our Magic Fests, which I still advocate is the right choice to keep everyone safe, I want the Arena Client, which is the client that officially is the only one that I can use, being a Mac user, I want us to have a chance to find a way to translate that into the Magic Arena Online Client. Whew! I don't know about you, Unlucky Lounge routes, but I felt like I was on a ride there so thank you for tuning in and listening to my thoughts and my comments on what I think we can do to make Magic Arena an even better competitive environment for limited players and to advocate the best of three being a ranked format. Now we're going to be back on here with let's say some live draft reactions as we're going back to Throne of Eldraine. I'm so excited to going back to the place of fairy tales, myths, and legends and being able to play it all in live player drafts on Magic Arena. But I'm saying it out to all of you. I want to know what you think out there in Planeswalking Land. How was this essay and comparative analysis for you? Was it interesting? Did you have some thoughts provoked during this me kind of talking and rambling a bit. And do you think that we could be doing more to make limited play a more competitive and more decisive format on Arena? Is that something we should be focusing on? Send me your thoughts on Twitter, Draft and Draft Corey, Instagram, Corey Demon Enriquez, and of course, find our Patreon, Draft and Draft and MTG Podcast. And if you could do me that favor take a second to rate and review us wherever you find us. On Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, wherever you download us, give us that feedback. I want to know. It doesn't have to be five stars. If you like the show, I want to know. But if you have some things that you think can improve from it, I want to know that too. I want this to be a space that you get to tune in, kick back, relax, untap one to celebrate all of you out there And enjoy the game that we have in front of us, in a space that we can all call home. Or at least a place where everybody knows your name. Yeah, it's a weak cheers reference, but I thought we'd leave on a little side reference joke. Well friends, it looks like I have found the bottom of my bottle, and that means we've reached the end of another episode. Thank you to all of my unlucky lounge rats for tuning in. And tune in soon because we have a lot of exciting new thoughts coming down the line. But until next time, my name is Cory, and this is Borak. Go out there and make some magical memories of your own.